Good morning, church. My name is Heather Dunn. Last week, Pastor Frank encouraged us to learn how to surrender our wills to the will of God instead of our own. And several years back, I had a situation where I really wasn't there. I was very much all about me and self-centered. And I had to learn very hard how to change. I met and joined a prayer team group that I really spent time learning how to sit and listen before the Lord. In Psalm 40, Psalm 46, 10, it talks about being still and knowing the Lord. And we only come to know that when we truly sit and we begin to listen to what He says. Your circumstances may not change, but He can get change you. And that's an important thing to learn. So church, this morning, our Bible reading today is from Matthew 6. The reading is 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you will shine forth upon Pastor Chris and that your words will come through and that we will hear and understand how to give over the provisions of our lives and all of our lives to you and to hear your still small voice speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you to church again. It's great to be together. It's great to learn and to grow together. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Covenant. And it's just been a real blessing these past weeks, even though we find ourselves so far apart, to see how our church has been able to remain together. And as we close out our Deeper Still series and our time together now, I just feel that God has really blessed this time that we've chosen to hop out of our normal series in the Sermon on the Mount and and take four weeks to take a really concentrated look at the Lord's Prayer. What I appreciate the most about it is that week after week, as a teaching team, we've really been surrendering to what God would have us share or what God is teaching us week to week. It wasn't just a cookie-cutter series on the Lord's Prayer But we really took it week to week, and we talked it out, and we shared with one another, and we worked out what we were teaching. And I really appreciate that because I sense that God is moving through this series, that God has moved through this series. I think it was, it's been a timely series for our church in the season that we find ourselves in, in the season that we're moving toward as we continue our search for a permanent pastor, as we continue to identify our core values as a church, our identity as a church. It's been really important for us to be rooted in this idea in prayer. And I I just feel that God has really used this time to bolster that and to create a foundation for us to serve and to grow from. So it's just been, been an awesome, awesome blessing to be a part of this series. I know we could keep going for sure. We've talked about that as a teaching team. We could keep going, but but I'm, I'm sure that God is going to use what we've learned in these times. We're going to keep referring back to referring back to what God has taught us in this time together, and that's just going to be so rich for us. So like I said, this is our fourth and final week of our series, Deeper Still, 
And the sermon, I've titled the sermon for our time together today, The Petition of Prayer. But real quick, just by way of review, I want to go back to the past three weeks and sort of highlight some things that we've learned as we've, as we've gone through this series on prayer. It started with a sermon that I gave a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, on the posture of prayer. And I shared in that sermon how prayer is an opportunity, not an obligation, how prayer is a conversation, and how prayer needs to be passionate. At that time, I also shared how I feel like God's transforming my heart as he's aligning my heart with his. And I use the analogy of flipping tables like Jesus did in the temple. I feel like God's flipping the tables of my heart, of our hearts, as we are transformed more and more like Jesus and how, as he continues to teach us how to pray. After that week, we heard from Greg, Pastor Greg, and he shared with us the, the, the truth that the Lord's Prayer is curiously relevant to all people in every culture and life circumstance throughout history. He shared that our objective in prayer as individuals, as couples, as community groups, and as a church is to move from ordinary prayer to extraordinary prayer. And as we looked at the verses, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He really did a great job in in laying out who, uh, the posture of our heart as we approach God in prayer in order to move from ordinary prayer to extraordinary prayer. And then last week, Pastor Frank shared on the priority of prayer. He shared that our priority in prayer is not for us to convince God to do our will, but rather that our hearts would soften to his. And he asked the question, are you finding yourself trying to find a way to squeeze God into your kingdom or kingdoms? Or are you surrendering your will and your desires so that you discover how you fit into his? That, there it is again, that idea of an alignment of wills. I love that. Are you surrendering your will and your desires so that you discover how you fit into his? Well, as we spend our time together today and looking into this, this last little section of the Lord's Prayer, as I teach on the petition of prayer, how we're, what we're really asking when we pray and how we ask those things, would you pray with me now as we prepare our hearts? Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we just want to proclaim that you are God, and you are worthy of all of our praise You're worthy of all of our worship as we lift you up in prayer, as we seek to align our hearts with your heart and our will with your will. God, I pray that in these moments we spend together that you will continue to reveal yourself to us and reveal a fresh understanding of what prayer is and how it is a part of our life and how it is a part of, of being a, a disciple, of being a follower of Jesus. God, give us a proper pers- perspective and understanding as we spend this short time together. God, continue to bless it as you've already done throughout these past few weeks. Continue to bless these moments as well. God, I pray that you would make them rich in our hearts and that through this time together that we would grow closer and closer to you and cr- grow closer and closer to being more like your son Jesus. And we acknowledge that it's only by the power of your son Jesus, the life-saving and life-giving power 
of the Holy Spirit through your son, Jesus, that we experience any of these things. So we pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. So I've titled this sermon, The Petition of Prayer. And I just want to say that the Lord's Prayer typically can be broken down into seven separate petitions. The first three are what we'd call upward petitions, and the last four would be downward petitions. As we've read through the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those are what we would call upward petitions, and then give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us and then deliver us. Lead us not into temptation and then deliver us. Those would be downward petitions. But what I would like to do in our time together, and one thing that God's really been moving in my heart and really prompted me to share in these moments that I have with you now, is an overarching petition of the posture of our hearts, of what we're really asking when we pray. What are we doing when we pray? When we think of petitioning, think of appealing to the authority of God. Yes, there are seven separate petitions in the Lord's Prayer, but one thing that God has been teaching and moving in my heart is this overarching petition, this overarching idea. Before we get into it, let's read again from Matthew 6, verses 11 through 13, where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like I said, those are the last four downward petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And when we are petitioning to God, what we're doing is we're appealing to the authority of God. We're surrendering to His will and not ours. There it is again, that idea that God keeps reinforcing in this series is an alignment of wills, aligning our hearts with God's heart. So prayer is appealing to God. So the petition of prayer, the overarching petition of prayer is just that. It's an appeal to God to align our hearts with his heart, to align our will with his will. These separate petitions, I believe, fall under that overarching idea. And it shifts the way that we think of prayer. It shifts the way that we pray and how we pray for these things. When I think of surrendering to God's will, I think of Romans 12, where Paul's writing to the Romans. And he's saying, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I shared that a few weeks ago in my sermon. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect. One facet of prayer, one idea of prayer that God has been teaching me throughout this series is to change my language and my thinking, right? It's that idea from from Romans 12 where it says, transform my mind. I'm no longer conforming to the world, but I'm being transformed, and I'm lining up, I'm aligning myself up with God's kingdom and with God's will. And so it's changed my language and my thinking to this here. 
Instead of saying, God, help me to do what I want to do, it's changed to God. Help me to see, help me to understand what you are doing and how I can participate in that. So the overarching petition of prayer, very much like Jesus' prayer in the garden on the night that he was betrayed, where he asked God to, if it possible, to remove this cup from him, this burden that he was going to have, this suffering that he was going to have to endure. But what does he say? He says, not my will, but your will. So it's it's an alignment there. It moves from our prayers being simply petitions to God where we're heading in a certain direction and and we're asking God to to help us go in the direction that we want to go. Even, Even sometimes those directions may seem righteous, but the petition of prayer is to align our hearts with God's heart and to change our language to say, God, help me to see and understand what you're doing and how I can participate in that. Your will first, not mine. Asking God for things in prayer or sharing our heart in prayer, much like Jesus did, there's nothing wrong with that. But the foundational, the overarching, the foundational petition in our prayer should be as Jesus said, your will first, not mine. And like it says in Romans, there's a constant testing and discernment that's happening. As we are transforming, no longer conforming, and as we are transforming, there's a constant testing and discernment that's happening. We're constantly asking ourselves, what are we missing? God, what have we got wrong? God, what do you need to teach us how do you need to transform me? I put it this way. It's, it's a life of constant correction, a constant, almost like a battle of, against our will, right? We're constantly pursuing. We're not going to get it right this side of heaven. We're constantly pursuing God's will. We're turning and turning and turning, right? Isn't that what repentance is? As we're turning from sinful ways, we're trying to, we're, we're literally 180 from what we're doing and we want to align with what God is about. So our prayer then is centered around who God is and all that he's doing. Our prayer should be centered around who God is and all that he's doing. And that's, that's a definition of worship. The best definition that I've found of worship is just that. It's our response to who God is and all he's doing. So our prayer is very much the same. It needs to shift from this is what I need to this is what you're doing, God. We're appealing to the authority of God. It's not just requests, but it's an alignment with what God's doing and who he is. One thing that God's revealed to me in this study in my time with him is this, is that sometimes, if not all the time, In order to see what God is doing, we need to be reminded of what he's done. In order to see what God is doing, we need to be reminded of what he's done. This just happened just the other day. I was talking with my wife, and we were sharing a little bit of the season that God had been bringing us through. And at one point, she paused, and she said, we need to write this down. We need to just literally just journal this and log this so that we can remember and those moments where we're trying to discern what God is doing, 
we can remember what he's done because God doesn't change. God is the same. And he works, he, he works things for the good of all of those who love him. So we need to remember all that God has done sometimes in order to see what he's doing. This idea of journaling it out. And when I thought of that, as I read Matthew 6, when I thought of that, I was reminded of the Old Testament nation of Israel. God brought that portion of Scripture in Exodus to mind. I was actually sharing this with my father as well. And he reminded me of that. And I I got to thinking that as Jesus was instructing his disciples to pray, there was no New Testament scripture. There was only Old Testament scripture. And so as Jesus was instructing people to pray, uh, in line with this idea of we need to remember, in order to see what God is doing now, we need to remember what he's done and who he is. I couldn't help but think, and as the, the Jewish people of that day were hearing this prayer, Matthew 6, 11 through 13, when they would hear the words, give us this day our daily bread, I wonder if they would snap back to the stories of Old Testament Israel in the desert complaining because they were hungry and how God made a promise to them and said that he was going to give them manna from heaven. The Bible says it was manna from heaven like rain. Daily he provided for his people. What's interesting about that story is that the manna that God sent was good for only a day. If you tried to store it up, it would be, the, the, the story says that it would be covered with maggots and worms the next day. So God provided just enough for one day for each family. It said families didn't, no family had too much and no family had too little. No family was in need or in lack. I wonder if as they heard this prayer, they snapped back to that memory of who God was and all that he had done and how he had provided daily bread for the people of Israel. And Jesus goes on and says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I wonder if they think of that same nation who had built a golden calf in place of God when they they'd worshipped this idol in place of God. And how the, the story says that God was furious, that God wanted to just lay out his wrath against these people and wipe them out. But the story says that God was merciful. And it says that when the Lord passed before Moses and he allowed Moses to see his back. It says that he passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. When they think of forgiveness, I wonder if they're they snapped back to that story of Old Testament Israel and remembered God's faithfulness and forgiveness and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We all know that part of the story where Jesus' people or, or God, where God's people, the nation of Israel, are enslaved in Egypt and how he delivers them from Egyptian rule, how he frees them from their bondage. 
with miraculous acts culminating in the parting of the Red Sea. These people were hearing Jesus say this, deliver us from evil, deliverance. I wonder if they snap back to that remembrance of who God was and all that he has done. Now as a believer now, we know the rest of the story. We have the New Testament scriptures. Jesus' ministry continues on. So when we read, when I read these verses, they snap back to my own remembrance of who God is and all that he has done. But what I love about it for me is as I've studied through this passage in light of that, in light of aligning my heart with God's heart, in light of understanding that in order to see what God is doing, sometimes I need to remember all that he's done. As I've done that, as I've been doing that through the Lord's Prayer, I've noticed that my heart then turns outward. It becomes missional for the Lord as we are becoming more and more like Jesus. It's just, it doesn't just stay within our own hearts. But the Lord's Prayer has moved me into more of a missional heart. So as I consider, give us this day our daily bread. Gosh, my, my prayer has moved from this just being a rote sort of, you know, memorized prayer of give me food, give me enough to eat, give me enough sustenance that I can stay alive. No, it's shifted my heart to saying, your will first, God. Throughout history and throughout my own life, you've provided just enough for me. How does my daily bread fit into your will, God? It's not me asking you or telling you what I need or petitioning to you what I need. No, I'm appealing to your authority, God, and I'm asking my daily bread, how does that fit into your will? And then my heart turns outward because then I consider the many ways that God has blessed me and provided for me and makes provision for my life and for my family. And I start to think, how can I turn that outward to others? How can I think of others in need? How can I provide for others through the love? How can I show them the love of God through provision? I think of forgiveness. I think of the many times that God has shown me grace and mercy. I think of forgiveness. I think of the work of the cross. It's not just some memorized prayer that I'm saying. It's not just some sort of penance. But I'm recognizing God's authority and his will. And how forgiveness fits into that. How a life with, with, in relationship with God is only because of his great mercy that he's shown me time and time again. A sinner, broken, lost. Within the context of his will and his authority, I consider his forgiveness. And what does it do? It turns my heart outward. I've been forgiven so much so that, that I want to forgive others. My heart turns outward. I think of all the grace and the mercy that I've received. 
And it only, wants me, it only makes me want to turn that outward to others, to be God's love and God's grace and God's mercy to others. And lastly, we think of deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a tricky one, I think, for some people because we know that in James, James 1.3, it says that God doesn't tempt anyone. But if you, if you look at the translation of this last verse, the word temptation can also be translated to a trial, a hardship. And in the Greek, when they say, lead us not into temptation, it, the idea of leading us is drawing us into temptation. Don't draw us into trials. Don't draw us into hardship. God does not. God does not draw us into trials or hardships. I think maybe some of you need to hear that in this time. But I will say this, that God leads us through them. That's the idea of deliverance. God leads us through trials and hardships, much like he led the people of Israel through trial and hardship. Jesus prayed the same when he was in the garden. He was entering trial and hardship. And he said, if it be possible, remove this cup. But sometimes, God wants to lead us through these trials. So we have to be open to that. So when we say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Gosh, that makes me think of the cross. Makes me think of Christ crucified. How he's delivered us from all judgment and bondage of sin. In Romans 5, 3, uh, 3 through 5, it actually says that we're to rejoice in our suffering and our trials because it produces endurance. Our suffering produces endurance and our endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. We need to be ready to share this hope with others. So when I consider the trials, the hardships that God is leading me through, I know that it's producing hope. And that, makes, that turns my heart outward. It motivates me to share that same hope with others. So as I read through this verse, which has become, as I read through the Lord's Prayer, which has become a very sort of standardized and memorized and easily recited prayer for me, God has shifted, God has flipped a little table, God's flipped a big table in my heart, and he's shifted the way that I think of prayer. And the way he's done that is to align my heart with his heart, align my will with his will much like Jesus in the garden, so that as I read through, give us this day, forgive us our debts, lead us not, deliver us. That's not just me telling God what I need. It's me appealing to the authority of God, submitting to the authority of God, that overall petition, asking God, what are you doing? And how do I fit into that? What is my daily bread and what would you have me do with that? 
remind me of your forgiveness so that I can forgive others. God, are you leading me through a trial? You're not leading me into one, but you're leading me through a trial or a hardship. God, how does that fit into your will? And ultimately, how do each one of these things turn my heart outward so that I can serve others and be a minister of the gospel? That's really what it's motivating me to do as I read through these petitions. Become ministers of the gospel. But that's aligning my heart with God's heart. That's the one takeaway that I want you to have from this series and from our time together, this idea of an alignment of wills. Prayer is an alignment of wills. It's not just asking God, although asking in prayer is appropriate. But like I said, foundationally, what it is, is it's an alignment of our will with God's will, much like Jesus prayed in the garden. Aligning our will with God's will. Continue to ask yourself that question. Continue to, sh- to, to shift from help me do what I want to do to God, help me to see what you're doing and how I can participate in that. Continue to ask yourself that question. What is God doing and how can I participate in that? Continue to be reminded of all that God's done in order to see what he is doing. I pray that God continues to reveal to us what he is doing for us as individuals and as a church moving forward. I found this quote, or uh, Pastor Greg actually um, found this quote and shared it with the staff at one of our meetings from Tim Keller on prayer. And I think this resonates with that idea of an alignment of wills. He says that we can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. I think that sometimes some some of the friction that I experience in my own prayer life or in my own walk is a result of me not being able to align myself with God's heart. But like Keller says here, our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. Let us continue to pursue the will of God in our prayer life Let us continue to align our hearts with God's heart so that he can reveal himself to us, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. But then let that motivate us to turn our hearts outward in ministry. As we love God, let let us turn our hearts outward and love others and be ministers of the gospel to one another. I pray that we do that. Church, I I pray that this has been a fruitful series for you. I know that it has been for me. I know that this isn't a complete look at the Lord's Prayer, and I would encourage you, much like I did a few weeks ago, I'd encourage you to share with me anything that God has been revealing to you through this time of study and prayer. I I feel that there's there's much more fruit to come from this as we keep referring back to it. So I pray that we can build this into who we are as a church moving forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this study. Thank you for your spirit that reveals truth to us. 
God, I pray that these moments that we've spent together looking into prayer, looking into your instruction in prayer, God, that you would continue to transform our hearts, that you would continue to flip the tables of our hearts as we long to be more and more like your son, Jesus. God, we're so thankful for this time we've been able to spend together. We're thankful for the fruit that will come from it, Father. Continue to bless us as we continue on in our series and the Sermon on the Mount. God, our hearts are just filled with thankfulness and knowing that you are God, that we are appealing to your authority. God, your word says that as far as the heavens are above the earth, that your ways and your thoughts and your understanding is higher than ours. God, what a comforting truth that is in knowing that the God that longs for us to call him Abba, Father, the God that calls us his children, is in control and can see things so much clearly than we can. So we appeal to that. Our God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you go before us in all that we do? We pray these things in the mighty power of Jesus' name. Amen.